Paceline is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Yes, we can talk about the big red splotch on my cheekbone. <laughs> How's the other guy look? He said uh, jokingly. Uh, well, I, I mean, she did set the liquid nitrogen down after she used it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um... So there are these things uh, of, of flavor of skin damage uh, that some cyclists are going to get familiar with as they age uh, called actinic keratosis. Um, oh, yes. And uh, yeah, they're delightful. Not. Um, <laughs> I have them on my arms. Uh, uh, yeah, she she nailed one on my arm. Mm -hmm. Little crusty bits. Yeah, that you think you think should become regular skin again and then don't. That's very well put. Yes. Um, and the ones on my face usually end up with something growing straight up like a, a I don't know, like a little tree. Not that it has branches or anything, but OK, a street light. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so and she she hit six of them on me in one day. Nice. Five were on my head. I drove home feeling like I'd had pinpoint ice cream headache all over me. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, the upside to having these things frozen off is that then they don't turn into cancer. Well, you know, yes. Um, yes. It eliminates that possibility. Based on my reading on the interwebs after I was first diagnosed with one, I had the sense that, you know, it's a fairly common occurrence that if you leave it untreated, it will just, you know, I, I don't know what, maybe a two in five incidence rate was my sense from reading around on the internet. Mm. No, it's like one in a hundred. The, the dermatologist I went to see and, you know, I had her like head to toe um, go over me. Uh, she was like, no, it's like 1% of all of them become skin cancer, but they're still smart to get taken care of. So yeah. um, I've, I've had them disappear on their own. Really? I have. Um, and then I have not had them disappear on their own. Yeah. I've, I've now had, uh, nine or 10 of them done. Yeah. But this yeah. one on my cheekbone, holy cow, she really zapped it. Um, <laughs> I mean, like it, it blistered uh, and, you know, yeah, I woke up the next morning and there was crust on my face. That was delicious. Gross. Yeah. So uh, boys and girls, wear your sunscreen. Yeah. And if you are a avid cyclist who doesn't wear uh, sunscreen, as I have not traditionally throughout my life, you will find them on, on you. your forearms mm -hmm. uh, and or lower upper arms. Mm -hmm. Did that make sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, Face and forehead, if your hair is thinning, perhaps up top. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I had a long conversation at the end of my appointment with, uh, well, it was not long, but I did have a detailed conversation with the dermatologist. Uh, she recommended that maybe I would want to switch out helmets and get one with one of those visors on it. And I said, well, I do wear one like that when I'm mountain biking, but on the road, you can't really wear one of those. She's like, why is that? I said, well, once you're going 25 miles an hour, uh, the wind catches that visor and yanks that thing all over your head. And she was like, oh, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, you know, you're not a cyclist. Why would you? Uh, so yeah. she, she, you know, she gave that little eyebrow raise saying, oh, I hadn't considered that. Noted. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all righty. What are you pulling about? Uh, today, I want to talk about how a person uh, who has been riding road bikes for years, decades even, might learn to love riding mountain bikes eventually. <laughs> okay i have some friends who are dyed in the wool roadies mm -hmm. as as i assume you do as well mm. uh and the last few years have seen the numbers in their group rides dropping and the media dedicated to what they do dwindling mm. and they love it still as they should but there's this odd dynamic where they feel a little abandoned mm-hmm uh, but also a little intimidated by moving to gravel, never mind making the giant leap to mountain biking. Mm, mm, mm. Mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, I learned to ski in middle age and the process of learning new skills when you have a perfectly good set for another activity uh, is humbling. And you mean you like being good at something? Yeah, I'm perfectly good at this thing, so why don't I just keep doing this thing? Why um, do I need to start over with another thing? And, yeah. and you know, strictly speaking, you don't need to. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> it's it's very tempting to stay with just with you know just what you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can tell you, I'm fanatical about skiing now. That. That scans based on the amount of time you're spending in the 802. That is true. That Vermont, would be area. Yeah. Vermont's area code. Yes. Vermont beckons and calls. <laughs> uh, and I should say, I'm still not very good on skis, mm -hmm. uh, but it is so fun. I can't believe I put off learning it so long. <laughs> okay. And there are. And frankly, if you are, if you are already a mountain biker, uh, it feels very analogous to me, skiing and mountain biking, mm, mm -hmm, both mm -hmm. both in form and experience. Mm -hmm. Also, while people like you and me see it all as one thing, mm -hmm. just just riding bikes, mm -hmm. um, many roadies don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Riding off road requires a different set of skills, and those uh, those rides are harder to measure in the way that roadies might feel compelled to measure their riding. <laughs> mm. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. So just briefly, let me make some, some generalizations. <laughs> Please. Road riding is governed by a set of rules. A big set. Yes. Those rules are mostly about safety, because cars. Mm -hmm. uh, but they also take in the efficiency of the group riding together. Um, there are cultural and stylistic rules that are... I think a bit arbitrary, but most cultures and styles are like that. Yep. Um, the focus on the road is usually on what your legs will do for you on the day. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, road riding is very effort and distance oriented. Mm-hmm. To get off road, you <clears throat> you kind you have to adapt your mindset a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to let go a lot of those rules. Uh, and you might want to stop thinking about distance and effort so much, at least at first. <laughs> also, I think y- you got to have some faith in your bike handling skills. Almost everything you've learned to do on the road will translate to the not road. <laughs> you know, like the medium is different. The bike is different. But the balances, you know, they're only subtly different. Mm. Okay. Um, why would you want to do this, though? Let's not skip over that. Um, <laughs> first, the woods are good for you. Mm. I don't think that's controversial. The woods are beautiful, relaxing, and there are no cars there. <laughs> uh, the sense of adventure is rewarding. I could go on and on, but as I said, I don't think it's controversial. No one is saying, don't go in the woods. The woods suck. <laughs> right? <laughs> I... I I'm sure I could find that person, but you know, that person is probably out there, but it, yeah. like, there's not enough of them to, uh, have generated a bumper sticker. <laughs> so, all right. Second, riding on dirt will make you a better rider and learning another type of bike will do that too. Yeah. Uh, third, it'll get you out of your head. Off-road riding, whether gravel biking or mountain biking is busy work. There's there's a lot of steering to do, a lot of terrain reading. You'll forget your worries and even maybe what's going on with your legs that day. Amen. Fourth, uh, this is slightly more controversial. It's it's good to be humbled. (laughs) I I would submit that that's highly controversial. I agree with you, but I also know that it's controversial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's discomfort in it. Mm. When I when I started skiing, I was I was quite literally on the bunny hill with small children, uh, snow plowing mm-hmm. around, and I just as someone who I've been a life lifelong athlete mm-hmm. of various stripes, and because I've been practicing my whole life, I'm pretty good at stuff, physical stuff. Uh huh. And to go and not be good at a thing, it I knew in advance it was going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean physically, uh, but it still it still really got me. And there were a couple times where I was like, this just I'm just not going to do this. It seems to require a certain amount of self-awareness to, to allow yourself in middle age to be humbled and to be square with being humbled in middle age. I think it really takes a a fair bit of self-awareness so that you can look at the absurdity and go, that's okay. This is still me trying to learn how to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I true, truly I'm trying to learn all the time. Every piece I write, everything I do, I'm trying to get better at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, taking on a thing where you there's a steep learning curve in the beginning it, it it's good and the older we get the more settled we become which i think is um 
the welcome mat to death. That's just my personal take. <laughs> that also doesn't have a bumper sticker yet. But <laughs> um, I think it's good. I think it's good. And as I've pushed through to, I won't say all the way the other side, because as I said, I'm not a great skier yet. Um, the adventures that I've had on skis now, mm-hmm. I-, I would say I- I'm not a good skier, but I'm now a capable skier. So okay. I don't look very good in very challenging terrain, but I can access challenging terrain. And that is super cool. I, and yes. I don't mind so much that I look like the dog's breakfast doing it. <laughs> All right. All right. So how, how do you do it? If you don't have a gravel bike, go there. Uh, or even just put wider tires on your road bike and take in some easy dirt. Mm-hmm. incorporate some chill trails into your road rides i started riding quote gravel on 28 millimeter slicks and i was totally hooked um it's possible you don't have to spend money in order to access this you just have to believe that your bike you know maybe not as quickly as you'd like but your bike will still roll over very many uh, substrates that aren't paved <laughs> If you're going to make the jump to mountain biking, which I highly recommend, then I'd start with a budget hardtail. There is so much fun to be had there without breaking the bank, without going all in. Uh, I'd recommend maybe finding a friend who knows the local trails or use an app like All Trails, which we talked about last week, Mm -hmm. uh, two weeks ago now, to find a place that's open and easy and then explore it. Mm Mm-hmm. The biggest leap is the mindset change to go from measuring miles or wattage or whatever it is that you're hooked on uh, to simply riding around in the woods. Have faith. It's still bike riding. It's still improving your fitness. Also, this one's hard. Don't be intimidated. Just because the mountain bike media is showing you kids hucking backflips off big jumps doesn't mean cruising around in the woods isn't mountain biking. <laughs> if you're pedaling and you're smiling, uh, which I think you probably will be, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a lot, and I think we could talk about this all day, but what are, what are, uh, am I missing any big stuff? Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said earlier about, uh, I forget just how you put it, but about, you know, trust your skills. Uh, You know, you've got the skill set. I think one of the things that happens for a lot of people when they first try mountain biking is they are utterly alarmed at their lack of skill set for what mountain biking is. My advice is trust the bike, the bikes they want to stay upright uh, my, my first mountain bike, uh, a, a GT avalanche, uh, which my friends dubbed the lava lamp because of the paint job was of that, uh, generation and ilk of mountain bikes that did not especially want to stay upright. <laughs> uh, and today's mountain bikes are substantively different. Uh, it, the, the old advice of, you know, when in doubt, use more speed, uh, it's, I mean, that, that advice has been around since the 1980s. The thing is, it was questionable advice back then. And now it's yeah. not, uh, the way bikes are designed today, 
truly, uh, almost anything, if you just, if you will trust the bike and go a little faster, you'll roll right through stuff, especially if it's a 29er. Yes, my bikes are better mountain bikers than I am for sure. So mm -hmm. most of my, you know, I have some okay skills, but uh, a lot of clearing certain obstacles is just letting the bike do what it does. Yeah, yeah, it, that's a... <laughs> That's certainly a big piece. Uh, but I also think if you've been riding a road bike for years and years, you probably know how to bunny hop a little bit. You probably know how to lift your front wheel off the ground. You probably know that your bike will get more back front stable if you hang your butt off the saddle. And those three things are the three basic skills of mountain biking. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, I... I differed slightly because I have seen people who the moment they left pavement thought I have no skill set for this. Uh, yes. And so I, I want to do what I can for, for anybody out there who might feel that way. I'd want to do what I can to say, you know, you, you're not going into this completely unprepared. Uh, That's right. You, you have allies and, and a good modern mountain bike i.e. not one with a 73 degree head tube angle and 26 inch wheels and a 130 millimeter long stem uh today's stuff yeah it your bike is your friend absolutely your bike is your friend uh, let me go let me rewind what you just said though and i would just add that if all you have is the 26 inch mountain bike that you bought in 1998 uh, for your last trick at this, you can ride around on non, on you know you can ride around on that. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. A newer a newer bike will be uh, easier to ride for sure. But the important thing with this is just to get in the woods. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And another thing that I would offer is that. It, you know, if you live in Topeka or <laughs> Memphis uh, or central Florida, someplace that's mostly pretty flat. Yeah. Hardtail is the way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. If you live someplace where in a single ride, you might get 2000 feet of elevation change. I would really steer people into going for full suspension. Uh, it takes some time to learn that. Um, and I'm a big believer and if you're going to start mountain biking and you live in a place with elevation change, just jump in with full suspension. There are very, very affordable uh, full suspension mountain bikes out there that are absolutely quality. We have a review coming up uh, on the Cycling Independent of the Ripley AF, Ibis's aluminum version of their very popular Ripley 29er trail bike. Uh, and that is a... <laughs> That is a bike I would point a whole lot of people to. Uh, it's it's almost like an insurance program for guaranteeing that mountain biking will be fun from the very first ride. Yeah. That's how good yes. that bike is. Yeah. That is my experience also. Yeah. All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. Back in 1991, I rented a mountain bike for Fat Tire Bike Week in Crested Butte, Colorado. I'd been on a bike tour prior to this, so the only shoes and pedals I had were for the road and were clipless. What I quickly learned was that A, 
clipless pedals on mountain bikes were a very good idea. And B, the difficulty of starting on a steep incline told me that creating a pedal that engaged on either side would be important. I figured, cool concept, but no one will ever make that. Color me amazed when, a year later, Shimano introduced the first two-sided clipless mountain bike pedal, the SPD. One look at the pedal told me they had figured out the very thing I thought no one would ever sort out. 30 years later, and my preferred pedal for mountain biking is still the Shimano SPD. They are so effective that I use them for my gravel riding as well. This is just another instance of Shimano seeing around the curve. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What is your deal this week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine also deals with uh, dirt. Uh, My friend Jeff messaged me last weekend and said he was buying his first gravel bike, but he wasn't sure about the tires on it. It came with 38s, that is 38 millimeter wide tires, and he was thinking maybe he needed to go with something wider. Now, this buddy of mine, Jeff, is in Memphis, where I grew up, and the gravel riding there can get quite muddy because everything off-road can get quite muddy. So while I'm going to answer his question, I'm going to tackle gravel tire selection as the looming spring is going to mean all sorts of things to riders in all sorts of places. And I'm going to say that choosing the right gravel tire is much tougher than people might think. Or maybe it's not as hard as, you know, I've heard people talk about it like it's just a total crapshoot and it's not that bad, but it, you know, doing it well requires some thought. Uh, And I say all of this as a reviewer who got tired of reviewing road tires because the top of the line clinchers were all so close in performance. It was like, yeah, it it sticks to the ground. Go for it. Whatever. Um, It's kind of similar with mountain bike tires, too. There are tire combinations out there that you can run almost any place. But gravel tires? Ah. As I've mentioned previously, prior to a grasshopper, uh, I'll text with friends and look at weather conditions and any other beta we can get to inform our tire choices. And the funny thing is, for all the conversation that there can be, we will all choose different tires. Right. You know, nobody ever comes down on, you know, everybody's going to run the Donnelly Sport uh, Explore MSO. That is not a thing. We can have all the information and and come up with eight different answers. Uh, Sure. Okay, back to Jeff's question. My response to him, I'm sure, well, I shouldn't be sure, but I think it probably surprised him. As I told him that in mud, he wants to go narrower, not wider. Because mud, when it's not being sticky, is slicker than Astroglide. Uh, So the issue is getting the tire to sink in the mud so that it can bite into the soil beneath the mud. Uh, Also, you want big blocks spaced as far apart as possible. If the blocks are too close together, the space between them will simply pack up with mud. Uh, I learned this. uh, You're going to laugh. I I learned this from from watching swamp buggy racing. Yeah, of course. Uh, Everyone loves a good Friday night swamp buggy race. (laughs) They are kind of a delight. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I am a southerner, you know, so there is that. Um, But Swamp buggies, they're they're kind of 
they look a little bit like a boat. They're, you know, long and skinny like an, a boat. The front wheels look like road wheels just writ large. And the back looks more like uh, proportionally like gravel tires. Um, hmm. But they're these, I don't know, maybe a foot wide, two feet wide. I, th- these things are big, um, but they're just the they don't have blocks. They have like paddles on them. And mm. when those things get going, there's there's brown black water going everywhere. Um, but it was in watching that that I realized, oh, yeah, they're going with something narrow relative to the size of the vehicle so that it bites through the mud. OK, yeah. got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, next thing I'm going to say may be just as surprising. Most of the time, riders don't need a tire with a lot of tread. Uh, I've ridden nearly bald 40 millimeter wide tires on hard packed dirt and not had any problems with losing traction. And in case anyone is wondering, uh, at a certain point, a tire can have so much surface area that its traction will begin to drop because there's not enough weight relative to the surface area. But bicycle tires, uh, an engineer told me this, bicycle tires don't ever get big enough for that to happen. So wider with bike tires always means more traction. Period. End of statement. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever been able to clarify my thinking about gravel tire selection this well previously, but I've figured out a kind of logic tree or flowchart for it. So... Question one to ask yourself, what sort of surface will you be riding on? If it's muddy or loose, uh, like pine duff, uh, you're going to need knobs. If it's firm, you can go with less tread. Number two, how much rock is there? If there's a lot of rock or other stuff that could potentially give you flats, I suggest going wider to prevent pinch flats. Uh, The smoother the course, the narrower a rider can go. And that makes sense because on the road, you're running a skinny tire. Right. You know, if it's almost like a road, you can go with something just a little wider than that. Uh, the next question, and this is going to seem odd, but how comfortable do you want to be? Or how much emphasis uh, do you place on being fast and sticking with a group? Because uh, it's, a, it's a trade here. How much comfort are you willing to give up to be fast? If someone wants to try to stay with a group of quick riders, go narrower, as narrow as you dare. Uh, And that's kind of fundamentally the it right there. Um, You'd be amazed at the stuff, though, that I've ridden on 25s. Um, If, however, you want more comfort or to reduce the chance of a flat, go wider. So ultimately, this is a question of competing interests. Riders want optimal traction for the surface they are riding on, and they want as few flats as possible. Those two interests line up hmm, rather well. However, riders also want to go, generally, as fast as possible, and as tires drop in width, they lose rolling resistance up to a point. But it's important to remember that the narrower the tire the higher the pressure it must be run. And the higher the tire pressure, the more likely something sharp will puncture the tire. So it's a kind of an interesting proposition, huh? I mean, I think, I think tire choice perfectly encapsulates a certain something about a bike riding. 
Mm -hmm. Because if you are, you know, I I go back to uh, a distinction or a a spectrum, I should say, that my friend Phil Cavell, uh, author of The Midlife Cyclist, Mm -hmm. uh, told me about, which is the difference between micro adjusters and macro absorbers. Oh, uh uh-huh. So a micro adjuster is someone who is preoccupied with fine tuning their fit or their equipment or something in order to gain a better experience. And if they're experienced, if they're not having a good time on the bike, they really believe that there is some micro tuning detail that will get them where they need to be. Yes. And then there are macro absorbers who you can put on 25 millimeter slicks and and uh, send them out on a World Cup uh, downhill course. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can just adapt to anything. Right. And so the the uh, hyper focus on tire choice to me is a very micro adjuster conversation. And it's it's fun in a way like, you know. Uh, for for people who are into the gear and into the equipment, I I get it like that. Tires are great because they are uh, inexpensive enough that you can ex- have a bunch of them to address a bunch of different things. And they're fun to kind of like ride and try to understand. Absolutely. I would throw out there. I guess I try to represent the macro absorber group to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the dance uh, dance with the date you brung uh, brigade. Uh, Is that like love the one you're with? Love the one you're with. Right. Oh, OK. All right. I think um, I'm into all of this stuff that you just said, and I think this way quite a bit. But I try just to keep in mind that. I have had, as you said before, on 28 millimeter slicks, I have ridden single track and had a real good time. And so I just, uh, all I guess all I'm really trying to say is that I don't want anyone listening to us to think I can't do X, Y, or Z because I don't have these various choices. I want you, I want them to go ride their bike anyway. Yes. But if they are open to, if they do want to walk into their bike shop and look at the rack of tires and say, hmm, what have you got in a 40 millimeter file tread or other? Mm-hmm. Um, I think your flow chart and your thinking is, is superb. <laughs> cool. Uh, you know, it, to your point of micro adjusters and macro absorbers, my upcoming paceline pick uh, falls into the latter category. Oh, yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, kind of a cutting against the grain that I laid down there. Well, my pick is going to go exactly along the grain that I've already been cutting. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about it? All right, all right. I'm not picking a specific bike uh, this week, but I am going to make a brief case for hardtails. Um, obviously, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Obviously, I brought them up in my poll, but I think hardtails are so, so valuable, both for seasoned mountain bikers and for people just trying to get into the sport. I actually did a whole feature on this for Mountain Flyer uh, a few months back, Um, So, uh, but I'll just keep it brief here. Mountain biking, as it is currently represented, is a super expensive sport to get into. 
You're 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 not sure. Uh, it can be. It doesn't have to be. Well, this is what I'm saying. I, I mean, I'm part of the problem. I recognize that. Like, I ride really nice bikes, so all the representation I'm giving is of you know having spent more on bikes than on cars um <laughs> guilty but we sometimes in our industry in our business in our media act as though you need a high-end dual suspension bike to have a good time in the woods and that's fundamentally false yeah i'd agree with that a fifteen hundred dollar hardtail uh, which i know is still a lot of money for many people can be the kind of gateway drug you need mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to get you to the point where you're willing to spend more on a mountain bike than on a, a used Toyota, which is where I want you to be in your life. <laughs> uh, a $1,500 hardtail, um, it's enough. It's enough to get out and have fun. It's enough to learn most of the skills. It's enough. Yeah. For older folks, a hardtail can be a good choice for gravel riding, too. Upright, flat bar bikes give you that kinder, gentler riding position. Mm -hmm. For more advanced riders, riding a hardtail is a good way to keep your skills tuned because the bike does less of the work for you. Uh, Or to make trails you've mastered on a dual suspension bike challenging and fun again. (laughs) I do this all the time. I have a local trail system that I love so much Mm -hmm. and it's really fun on a dual suspension bike. It's a different it's a different trail on a hardtail. It's a different trail on a gravel bike. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so, you know, that's, that's a thing worth considering. Um, I could go on and on about this, but I'd like to see bike culture re-embrace the hardtail as a natural entry point to mountain biking. I take your point, your previous point about, you know, very um, uh, hilly, climby areas, uh, lots of up sharp, sharp up and downs being good territory for dual suspension i i totally accept that um but i think we need to in order to bring more people in we need to let them know that you know a hardtail is a really good way to do it too yeah Uh, that would make this sport more accessible and more relatable as well as improving people's handling skills because let's be honest on a dual suspension bike yeah the bike just does so much more of the work and in most instances uh, the bike is better than the rider. I know that's true. Like as I've been riding mountain bikes a long time, but my current mountain dual suspension bike, which is the Ibis Ripley, the carbon fiber version uh, that you had mentioned before, it's a better it's a better rider than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. Uh, if you are looking for a good affordable hardtail, I'd take a look at Kona or Marin bikes. Yeah. Um, any you dad? Uh, uh, Marin is really killing it in the, uh, more affordable, uh, hardtail category right now. Uh, I actually bought mini shred, uh, a Marin hardtail, 27 and a half inch wheels since he's only about five feet tall. Um, but yeah, both, both those are really good ones. Uh, Trek, uh, does a lot of good work, uh, in that. Uh, area as well as specialized so those are the other two i would add i as a matter of principle i never recommend a big one of the big four bike companies um i can understand that it's not because they don't make great bikes but i just i just i just don't i don't know 
That's fine. That's fine. Uh, You know, finding a Trek, uh, finding a Marin or Kona dealer may prove to be a little more difficult for some folks. And you can find specialized dealers even in some craters of the moon. True. (laughs) True. You know, and and the bikes handle great. You know, specialized has never come out with a bike that handled poorly. I got to give it to them for that. Oh, they they really work very hard. Yes. All of those companies, uh, Giant and Cannondale into the mix, uh, make quality, quality products. Yeah. I just have an aversion to major labels. Uh, The the world domination plans of some brands are troubling. True. Yeah. All right. What's your pick? Well, tagging onto my pull is one of my all time favorite gravel tires. The Donnelly Sport Strata USH. Say that three times fast. Don't don't. Uh, this is a tire that features a center slick section with tiny sipes, just little cuts in that center slick, and then a really rich, it's kind of like a herringbone-like pattern, but it's not chevroned. It's just uh, like gills, almost. Mm. Uh, the set I've been riding on are 700C by 40 millimeter. Uh, they make, I think it's six different sizes. I don't know. I'll get to that in a second. It's a remarkably sticky tire. Uh, I once descended a wet road that was slightly frosted. And by the time I saw the frost on the road, I was committed to my line. And it felt a bit like I was signing my own death warrant. Because mm. uh, it was uh, it was also like 16% downhill, you know. Uh, hitting my brakes could have taken me down. And uh, with the late entry I made on the turn, uh, that meant that uh, opening it into a wider turn wasn't possible without going over the yellow lines, which is something I don't ever do deliberately. Uh, the tires slid ever so gently at the apex of the turn, but hooked back up instantly. Uh, The level of control I felt truly surprised me. Also, anytime I can get a two-wheel slide on a bike, I feel like a god. (laughs) I love that. Um, I tend to run uh, the 700 by uh, 40 millimeter tires between 36 and 42 PSI, depending on conditions. in addition to those 700 by 40s, they also do a 700C by 32 millimeter and then two different 650B sizes, a 50 millimeter wide one and a 42 millimeter wide one. Um, they both come in traditional clinchers as well as tubeless. Uh, I can confirm that the tubeless is the way to go because I've had the Explore MSO from Donnelly in both the clincher version and the tubeless version. And the difference in rolling was... Uh, kind of scary noticeable Mm. yeah um i'll ride this tire almost anywhere uh the only two settings i can think of where i wouldn't ride this tire would be in mud or wet grass uh it has proven to be remarkable on hard packed dirt with some loose sand thrown in uh any kind of you know hard surface with something a little bit loose over it, it 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 does better than you would think it's capable of uh you know, this would be my desert island gravel tire. If I could oh. only have one gravel tire, this is the one. One gravel tire and one record. Yeah. Uh, uh, one record. Um, hmm. uh, one record. Peter Gabriel security? I mean, I accept it. You're the one that's got to listen to it. 
possibly Peter Gabriel's security. Uh, All right. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Um, or who's next? Oh, who's next? That's a banger. Yeah. Yeah. Of your two, I would choose that one. Well, that does not surprise me. Yeah. Given that you're the person who introduced me to sludge metal. <laughs> yeah, I would call, I think the Who is a punk rock band, kind of. Um, but we're wildly, uh, we're wildly off course now. I like that uh, Donnelly Sport <laughs> Strata USH tire as well. I think that is a very solid choice. Like if you were going to have one gravel tire. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just remarkably capable. Yeah. Um, I've, I've ridden that in Anadel where it was very rocky and lots of loose sand and whatnot. And, uh, I didn't feel like I'd given up anything in terms of security and traction over other knobbier tires that I have. Really, the size was the big thing that I needed. Would you say, I, I, this is a thing that I feel, um, but I was less, I was less into tire swapping uh, in the 90s, but I, I feel as though the last 10 years... You know, like you would have said, oh, rubber's not going to get better. But well, actually, I was, I was in the last that, 10 years, yeah. I think yeah. it, there's been a, like a paradigm shift in the quality of tire rubber. Uh, that is absolutely true. I mean, that was part of my problem, you know, in the, you know, uh, early aughts from uh, from like 2002 to 2009. A new road tire was just like, OK, yeah, right. OK, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, rides real nice. Okay. Um, but uh, not only did the quality of the rubber being used uh, improve, casings improved as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's there's been a lot that has evolved uh, in entire engineering and knowledge. And we can lay much of this at the feet of those fins who run wheel energy because they started doing some very interesting uh, scientific uh, rolling resistance tests uh, that nobody had ever figured out how to do previously. And uh, the thing that kicked off the rev revolution was the tires that Specialized was making around 2003, 2004 that were shaped like motorcycle tires in that the shoulders had thicker rubber. And so they the camber of the tire was a little flatter than you mm. would think. Mm. Those proved to be the slowest tires on the planet. And when the folks at Specialized found out about that, they're like, okay, that's ending tomorrow. Mm. Um, and they're, uh, you know, everybody else got wind that Specialized was completely reworking their tires and that kicked it all off. But yeah, it was those fins. Um, and yeah, the compounds are better. Uh, they are both stickier and have lower rolling resistance. And the only way you do that is by using more expensive materials. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, a single tire can be 80 bucks instead of 40 bucks now. Yeah, I think I think also some some credit uh, might go to uh, Jan Heine and what he's done with the Rene Hurst tires, because uh, independent of materials, I think uh, Jan pushed shapes and sizes that no one else was making. Um, and I think it maybe spurred some other companies to to 
there's just been a lot of rethinking of what was a very basic bike part previously. Yeah. 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 That's, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, a, a big thing with his work was, uh, you know, acknowledging that, you know, under the right circumstances, a smaller wheel isn't necessarily a smaller thing you're rolling on. If it's a really wide tire, right. um, you know, you get a, a circumference or diameter that's very close to what you're getting with 700C. Yeah. 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 It's a good time to buy tires. It's a good hey, time man. to micro adjust your, your rubber choices. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the Paceline. Uh, what are some of the cool stories we've got coming up uh, on TCI for readers? Um, well, we yeah, uh, there was a piece up this week. Um, I think it, it posted yesterday, which is a review of the Spring Classics races, uh, which mm. is a little different for from what we normally do. We've we have turned away from racing. Over, you and I over the last decade. Yeah. Uh, but those races are also good. So we did a little rundown on uh, what they are uh, and why you might be interested in them. So check that out. Um, we have a new episode of The Long Way Home coming. We have a yep. couple episodes of The Long Way Home coming. So if you haven't checked out that podcast. Yep. Uh, it should be in your paceline feed. So you would have run into it uh, regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've they've got the first one. Hopefully they enjoyed it. Episode two is my feature that I wrote for Peloton that toy boat for Peloton magazine. Uh, It's called Searching for America, and it's about a solo unsupported uh, tour that I did through the Rocky Mountains, uh, almost 2000 miles um, way back in 1991 when bike gear was not nearly as good. All right. Uh, This is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead. Click that button now. And hey, send us some questions. We love answering questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Uh, Facebook comments are also uh, acceptable and welcome. If you haven't already, check out our other podcasts, Revolting, uh, and as we mentioned, The Long Way Home. Uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism is also accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. Mm-hmm.